Hello, friends. Thank you for joining me for Your Daily Drive. I am Rick Thomas. You can find me in my cyber home at rickthomas.net. Come on over. Let's chat a while. It'll be a pleasure to be able to interact with you. Today, I want to take a deep dive into some challenging things that happen to all of us. Let me begin by just asking you a few questions, and then we'll go from there and let's see what happens. Here's question number one. What would you do if you had the opportunity to get even with someone who hurt you? And what if the hurt was irrevocable? What they did to you changed you forever. What would you do? Would you want revenge? To assess yourself on this crucial matter, perhaps you could answer these questions. Two of them. Number one, how do you respond when you don't get your way? Number two, how do you react during disappointments? How we react in the immediate and how we think about things in the long term, well, that's what I want to talk about today because all of us have had difficult things come into our lives. And we have been tempted to respond in ways that are not godly. And so how do we think about this? How do we navigate through this? The title of the podcast is Revenge When Evil Comes to You. This is a little bit autobiographical, but I do want you to know that I have walked down this path with you. I am not speaking to you in theory. I want to speak to you practically, and that's what our ministry is about. We want to provide practical tools and ongoing training to help people to live effective lives, and I trust this will help you. You probably want to talk. Some of you will, and I hope you do. You can come to our website. We would love to interact with you about this idea of revenge And we'd be glad to interact with you about anything else. We have been busy. We are a busy little ministry. In the last couple of days, six of our team members have been responding to your questions. Chris, Julie, Doug, Alex, Lisa, and then, of course, there's me. We've got six people working trying to answer your questions and Keep on coming. We want to be responsive. We want to interact with you. We want to help you with practical matters. And so thank you. One lady wrote today or yesterday, I don't remember. There's been so many. Uh, She said, I'm going to flatten this out. She didn't say it that way, but she said she didn't want to make it personal uh, because it's somewhat of a public forum. And so she she used my characters, Biff and Mabel, and I was so glad that she did that. And I made a mental note that I wanted to share that on the podcast, that if you have a personal situation that you want to share, just change the names. Don't talk about yourself. Change a little bit of the storyline is totally permissible, and I would it's okay to do that. And so if you want to use Biff and Mabel, they are becoming quite popular. Uh, you're welcome to do that. And so you can flatten it out and make it generic in those kinds of ways, make it specific as far as the problem that you want to address so we do know what the problem is, but we don't need to know who it is. And so flatten it out. Jump on our forums and ask your questions. All right, let's talk about revenge here. The title of the podcast, Revenge When Evil Comes to You. This is well over 2,000 words. And so if you want to get on the website, look for that title and you can read 
a full transcript of this article word by word, and it will help you. Perhaps you need to share it with someone because they have gone through or they are going through a difficult time in their lives. They've been hurt by someone. How in the world can you go through this life without being hurt? It's not possible, like walking through a car wash and not getting wet. If the car wash is up and running, you're going to get wet. And if you're living in this world, you're going to be hurt. And we have to have a way to process that. We have to have a way of thinking about it. Or what will happen is anger, bitterness, cynicism, fear, and even revenge will begin to wrap themselves around our hearts and they will capture us and we will be in a prison that God wants, does not want us to be in. He wants us to be free. What if I told you that God was part of what happened to you? That God is writing his story of redemption into your particular circumstances because of the role that he has decided for you. How about this? Not only is God working in your life through the horrible circumstance, but he does not want you to despair. He wants you to draw closer to him. But let's not stop there. May I press a little more? The unfortunate circumstances that God is writing into your life are for your good and his glory. But more than that, they are something that he can use as a beacon to draw others to him. You benefit from evil things. Point number two, those circumstances glorify God. Point number three, others find him through your ordeal. If these thoughts cause you to process your hurt in a Christ-exalting and God-honoring way, you will achieve what some believe to be the height of Christian maturity, as well as inestimable usefulness in God's kingdom. And I'm one of those people that believe that. If you can process your suffering, your disappointment, the pain that you have gone through in a Christ-exalting, God-honoring way, you will achieve the height of Christian maturity. When someone rips something that you love from you and you come through that crucible of suffering, loving God and others with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, you are in a special place with your relationship with God and with others. But if your heavenly Father leads you through the crucible of suffering and you become bitter, angry, demanding, cynical, or irreparably discouraged, you're in a dangerous place in your relationship with God as well as with others. I have spent many years thinking about the things that I have shared with you just now. I've had to spend many years thinking about these things because these things were forced upon me. There were no other options. Evil came to me quickly and in full measure, and there was nothing I could do about it. Here's one of those instances. On April the 18th, 1997, my brother's wife shot him five times with a gun. He died that night on the floor of his garage. He was 42 years old. 
After I received the phone call and before we made the long and silent trip back to our hometown, which was 135 miles away, here is what I said. Dear God, I know you are in this. This murder did not happen outside of your awareness or allowance. My soul feels ripped apart right now, and I need you like no other time in my life. I need to know that you are with me and that your purposes are coming to pass, even in this madness. Help me to see it. Help me to know it. Guard my heart against the diverse temptations that are coming at me right now. Lord, help me. As you might expect, God did help me that day, and he has never stopped helping me because he is a merciful God who loves his children deeply, so deeply that he would execute his own son to help me. As we read in Isaiah 53:10, yet it was the will of the Lord to crush him, Christ. He, God, has put him, Jesus, to grief. My brother was regenerated 10 years earlier before he was murdered. I do believe he was born again. Shortly after God saved him, his life changed radically, and he was one of those Thomas boys. He was one of five, and and our lives were radical on the other end of the scale as far as pagan kids And so when he was regenerated, there was a dynamic, transformative, and objective change in his life. These were the good years for us. We spent many hours talking about God and how kind it was of him to regenerate two rebellious Thomas boys. For the first time in my life, I had a brother who was my brother, biologically and spiritually, It was a rare and precious thing for me to have a brother who was my brother, and we cherished our moments together. But on that terrible day, for reasons that I do not entirely understand, he was taking from me most tragically. At that moment, I pled with God that I might understand what he was writing into my life. I asked him to give me a sense of peace that would override and profoundly affect how I would respond to the brokenness that came to my family. I theoretically knew that I was not promised a free pass through this life unscathed. I knew that in my head. I knew that in theory. It makes good preaching from the pulpit. I knew that no person would enter into heaven without experiencing brokenness. And though I knew these things, it was an altogether different experience to live it out up close and personal. It was in that moment of brokenness that I most assuredly needed to know that God was with me. I needed to know God in a fresh and new way. Without without this understanding of, quote, God with me, end quote, and God is writing his story into my life, I knew I would inevitably sink into despair. I knew that I had to reorient my mind around our good Lord. If I did not, the brokenness would soon overcome me. My primary question was, which would be greater in my life, God or my troubles? What was going to be more powerful, more controlling? What was going to manage me? God, or my troubles. 
If you are going to persevere in this life, you must have a firm conviction that God is greater than all your grief. One of the most significant questions that I had to ask myself was, why was this happening to me? It's an obvious question, and it's an appropriate question because you want to know. My soul was troubled, and I did not have all the answers as to why. God had to realign my thinking about the mysteries of his will. Here are some of those mysteries that I was working through, six of them, and there's a lot of tension here. Number one, my sister-in-law was entirely responsible for her actions. Number two, she chose to kill my brother. Number three, God was and is fully sovereign and in control of all things. Number four, God did not cause this murder, for that would make him the author of evil. Number five, But God was not off in the distance, wringing his hands as though he was not in control of the situation. Do you feel all the tensions and these questions that are budding into each other? And number six, and the most challenging thought of all, why didn't God stop this evil? While I did not find answers to all of my questions, God did give me the grace to trust Him in what He was permitting. If I could trust Him with the eternal direction of my soul, which I did sometime in the fall of 1984, I don't know the exact date, but I asked God to regenerate me, not using those words, of course, because I didn't have the Christian language with me at that time. But I entrusted him with the eternal direction, destiny of my soul. And if I could do that, I knew that I could trust him with the death of my brother. It was a trust that did not come easy. It's much easier to write these words than it was for me back then to work through the consternation of my soul. But I came to believe that God chooses to temporarily accommodate the evil of this world while he works in and through and around these broken events of this world so that he could fulfill his purposes. Make no mistake, God is a hands-on God who is at work in the lives of individuals. And while God is in control of all things, he does not negate the reality of free will. God is in total control, even while we are choosing to make decisions. This duality is a mystery, and I have become comfortable with it as much as you can become comfortable with this dualistic mystery. God will reveal some things, but he will not reveal everything. We're called to trust him, even when we do not have all the answers. You know the text. It's easy to remember 2929. Just remember that. 2929. Deuteronomy 2929. It says this. The secret things belong to the Lord our God. But the things that are revealed belong to our children and to us forever that we may do all the words of this law. When evil came, I had to ask God the obvious question. What are you up to, Lord? I knew that God had more than me on his mind. I knew that he loved me, but also knew that he loved others too. It became clear that he was working his plans for many people. 
I knew that my desires could not revolve around me and what I wanted as though others did not matter. This tension would not be a struggle as long as I wanted what God wanted, even if it caused me to suffer loss. It kind of harkens back to what Paul said in Philippians 3.8 when he said, Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For his sake I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ. If I were only concerned about my life, what happened to me and what goes on in my world, I would miss out on what God was trying to do through me. Isn't it true that sometimes we can get so stuck on what has happened to us that we do not see what God is seeking to do through us. And when we do this, our impact and our influence are shrunken down to our thoughts, our hurts, our disappointments, and the hope of getting our way. If a person understands that God is with them, for them, and working through them, even in the most painful of circumstances of their lives, that individual is positioned to experience God in incredible ways while being in incalculable blessings to while being an incalculable blessing to others. I use this idea of with him because it's Genesis 39:2. At the heart of the story with Joseph and all the horrific things that went on in his life, Genesis 39.2 says this, The Lord was, here it is, with Joseph. And he became a successful man, and he was in the house of his Egyptian master. Think about it. Joseph was in prison. He was incarcerated in a land that was not his. And the Bible says the Lord was with Joseph. Joseph. Those are two powerful words. In his story, beginning in Genesis 37, going through chapter 50, we see that he was the one who was hurt. They kidnapped him, imprisoned him, heaped many other hardships upon him. If ever a person seemingly had a right to take revenge on someone, it was Joseph. But Joseph did not do this. He had a better understanding of what was happening to him. God controlled him. Joseph got it. He saw the Lord who is invisible. You remember what they said about Moses? In 1127 Hebrews, by faith, Moses left Egypt, not being afraid of the anger of the king, for he endured as seeing him who is invisible. I love that verse. Joseph saw him who was invisible in the midst of horrific circumstances. He knew that God was writing a particular and painful story into his life. It was not about him or what he got or what he did not get. It was about God and how God wanted to use Joseph. Ironically, his brothers, who were not in prison, were ensnared by their manipulations, their lies, and attempted murder. Though they were not hurting the way Joseph was hurting, they were the ones bound by their attitudes, incarcerated by their actions. A couple of questions for you to think about. When others hurt you, are you able to live in the freedom of God's grace? Number two, 
Can you find hope in God even when you are not experiencing all you expected from him? Number three, are you able to see evil for good even when others meant it for evil? You know the text. Joseph said, as for you, my brothers, you meant it. You meant evil against me, but God meant it for good. Here's the bottom line. The rest of the sentence, Joseph said, to bring it about that many people should be kept alive as they are today. That's why I said uh, uh, said earlier, this, this three-step purpose for trouble, you benefit from evil things. Two, those circumstances glorify God. Three, others find him through your ordeal. That's essentially what Joseph is saying in this great text that we recite all the time, and we should. As you, my brothers, you meant evil against me, but God meant it for good to bring it about that many people should be kept alive as they are today. Your greatest ministry will come as you endure and work through the crucible of suffering. God is a counterintuitive God. He does things that we cannot do. He can use sin sinlessly. The most significant and most profound crime ever perpetrated on humanity was the execution of his son on the cross. And it was our great God using sin sinlessly who accomplished his greater purposes through this heinous crime perpetrated by others. And the Savior was willing to sacrifice his life for the greater good of others. If I think that my life is about me and for me, I will be whittled down to a prison of hurt that will eventually reduce me to something that God cannot use and will not use. But if I see that my path is a path of suffering that is following Jesus, though I do not look for pain and sorrow, I can rest assured that God will be working his plan through me for the higher purposes of many. You must know that God is not as concerned about getting you through a broken world with no experience of suffering and pain. God has higher goals than to get you through life without scratches. He is working in a broken world with broken people to accomplish his redemptive purposes. Sometimes he will choose to bring brokenness to you to achieve those purposes. That should not trip you up because you're not living for this life anyway. You have a higher vision and a higher calling. Eventually, the Lord will bring you to a place that is not broken or temporary. That place is not here, but heaven Paul said it this way in 2 Corinthians 4, For this slight momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison, as we look not to the things that are seen, but to the things that are unseen. Our great invisible God is the way it's it's, it's stated in Hebrews. For the things that are seen are transient, but the things that are unseen are eternal. How you think about God and how you think about your pain must be rewritten and filtered through a gospel-shaped crucible. If you do not take your thoughts captive and bring them to the obedience of Christ, you will very likely become a bitter, a sad, and angry person. As a Christian, to be controlled by someone or something other than the gospel is not a viable option. In the case of the death of my brother, 
I could either subject my thoughts and obedience to the loving care of my sovereign God or allow the circumstances of my life to take control of my thinking and responses. Ultimately, it was my choice. By the grace of God, I experienced His mercy. He led me to Himself and gave me peace that passed my human comprehension as well as my painful sorrow and discontent. This divine mercy released me from the desire to go eye to eye with my sister-in-law. God did not go eye to eye with me, though he had every right to do so. Instead, he showed mercy to someone who did not deserve mercy. You know the text very well. It's Romans 5.8, where Paul said, But God shows his love for us, and that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Because of the gospel, I was free in my prison of hurt. Read that sentence again. Listen again. Because of the gospel, I was free in my prison of hurt. Joseph was free even though he was the one that was captured in Egypt. His brothers were not free even though they lived in Israel. And similar to Joseph, I experienced a more significant strength. It was not a desire for revenge. It was quite the opposite. It was a desire for her to get what I got, grace and mercy. My anger toward her turned to pity for her. It's not essential for her to know how badly I hurt. Typically, that is what revenge is about, a large part of revenge. You, you want them to know, and that no longer became important to me. What became important, or more important to me, is that she knows my Jesus. I want her to know how much Jesus hurt on her behalf and on my behalf. I want her to know how much pain and suffering Jesus went through because of us, because of our sin. Since 1997, when my brother died, I have been praying for my sister, my former sister-in-law, on and off, primarily that God would mercifully save her. I do not know if this has happened. I do not know if she is a Christian or not. She has made no contact with me in all of these years. But if God does save her, she will have the privilege of being in heaven forever, standing beside my brother and me as all three of us worship the one that we killed. That is my vision. That is my perspective on all that has happened. It did not come easy. It came through many tears and many agonizing days and nights as I wrestled with what not only happened to my brother, but how it happened and what, it, what was happening to me. And as bitterness and anger was tempting to take hold of me, I had to find a grace, a grace that would master these things and a grace that would master me. Think about this. What I just shared with you, the story I just shared about my, my future vision of what I hope will happen, that me, my brother, my sister-in-law will be standing together side by side 
in heaven, worshiping the one that we killed. Well, there's a precedent for this. Paul was worshiping the Savior with those he consented to put to death. Only the transforming power of the gospel can be that redemptive. And that is the antidote to revenge. That is the antidote for those who perpetrate evil on others. The title of the podcast is Revenge When Evil Comes to You. Now, I know that your situation is unique, as they all are. And that's why we present our content in podcast format so that you can listen to it. And and then we uh, write out our Your Daily Drive articles so that you can read it and, and pay closer attention to it and work through it and make notes and interact with others and, of course, share it broadly. But you have a unique story. You have unique hurt and different things have happened to you. And so that's why we also have our forums. And so I would encourage you to come on our forums and ask whatever question that you may have, whatever you are going through. You will have to have a username and and password. Those are free. And so once you get your username and password, we don't keep passwords. I'd have no idea what your password is. Only you and God would know that or whoever you share it with. And so you'd log in with your username and password, and then you can ask a question. If you're not a supporter of our ministry, it's no problem. We want to serve you, so go on our community forums and ask your question. If you are a supporter of our ministry, well, we have a private forum for you, and you can go there and ask your question. Again, the title of the podcast, Revenge When Evil Comes to You. I trust it's beneficial. I hope you have a blessed day. Your Daily Drive is a production of rickthomas.net, a global community that is seeking to live more productive and inspiring lives. If you'd like to learn more about our community, please go to rickthomas.net, rickthomas.net.